0: Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowheretonothingpodcast@gmail.com to nothing podcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. We cover a lot of mind-bending topics on this show, but today's topic certainly ranks near the top of the list. This results from the undeniable, to human minds, weirdness of quantum mechanics, a theory which has been validated repeatedly. While many listeners are now familiar with some of the general principles and implications of the theory, today we'll talk about a flummoxing problem that emerges when looking at a potentially endless universe, Boltzmann Brains.
1: You know, I'm, I'm just I'm thinking if there was ever a moment when somebody was listening and, and said, "Okay, that's it. I'm going to send them in a topic." <laughs> 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 that, <laughs> this may be
0: it. Yeah. listening to this episode might be enough to make you make you sub- suggest something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a rough one, but yeah, um, this is this is a topic that I had heard about a long time ago, and I thought it was really interesting, and then. For whatever reason it I hadn't heard about it much. And then I was listening to an audiobook this week on physics, and the guy brought it up and I go, Oh yeah, that's really cool. And I started doing some research and um it took me a long time to finally wrap my head around it as much as you can. And uh I thought this is gonna be just a, a great podcast. So let's start with who was Ludwig Boltzmann
1: He was a yeah. Well, he he didn't have a, a long life, but he was uh, uh, primarily born r- roughly to mid, slightly later nineteenth century and into very early twentieth century. But um, he was a, a statistical physics practitioner. He was a, a very interested and, and and a master of thermodynamics. That was his focus. So the laws of thermodynamics are, are his purview. And as he started thinking about the problem of entropy, which was is always in physics, but this was where the focus was uh, at the time, Can you, uh, things tend to stay at a certain entropic level or deteriorate into more and more entropy, but you don't get less entropy. Hmm. was the thought and so he was putting his head on that and noticing fluctuations
0: yeah yeah he was an interesting guy because um he lived a long time ago right like when he was doing a lot of his discoveries we're talking late 1800s so um you know the field of of modern physics was really in its early infancy to the point where you know he was um a strong believer and, and espoused, you know, atomic theory,
1: but that was still something that was very much up for debate at that point yeah, because was, nobody had any of way of time. observing. He was, he was ahead of his time that way. And he, he strikes me, uh, he has struck me as a kind of Jules Verne, uh, character. Now, Verne was writing later also, but uh, not that much. And, and Verne was a major science fiction figure. But but Boltzmann's the kind of figure that Verne would have invented. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think would yeah. have created the Captain Nemos who put together atomic submarines before you have atomic power and such. Right. Because
0: the Boltzmann brain, what we're going to talk about is, you know, something that is sort of a result of Quantum mechanics, but quantum mechanics as a field wasn't in, you know, was a byproduct of relativity as discovered by Einstein, which was still 20 years off from Boltzmann's discussions. So he really was projecting into the future. You know, yeah. he was talking yeah. about things that scientifically hadn't really um, been founded yet.
1: One would have liked to have been a fly on the wall with a translator embedded in one's ears. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. To hear some of these discussions. Yeah. So, he's a really interesting Mm. guy. And,
0: you know, I think that, um, you know, when you're doing research on the Boltzmann brain, it it helps to talk about, um, the you know, the laws of entropy, right? So... And specifically the second law, right? You have the, f- the first law, which is, okay, well, matter can't be created or destroyed. You have the second law, which says in an isolated, in a closed system, right, um, entropy increases.
1: It stays the same or increases. I think yeah. the second law accommodates a more or less static, uh, not completely static, but uh, temporary level of entropy that then increases. Right. And so in doing the
0: research, a lot of physicists are quick to point out that the second law is not a law um, because it can be violated, but it's very rare, right? It's a, it's a law of probabilities. And the example that's used over and over again is, is coins, right? They'll give an arbitrary number of coins um, and, you know, whether it's 10 or 100 or a million. Right. And you say, if you dumped them all out. Um, you know the the greatest chance of them of the result is going to be half heads and half tails, because there are so many different ways that combination can happen. You know, um, whereas if you dumped out all the coins and they all landed heads up, there's only one way that can happen. So that's an extremely ordered state, which is a low entropy mm-hmm.
1: configuration. Yeah. So entropy being. Uh, a tendency toward disorder I think we probably ought to say that just, yeah, yeah yeah so so like basically my desk. <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so the second law basically says um entropy always you know entropy increases right if you have a, a closed system um things are going to get more disordered if we were to just let this room sit for a hundred years we wouldn't come in and there would, hey, there's no dust anywhere and it's vacuumed and, you know, it wouldn't happen that way, right? Everything would rot and fall down.
1: It's improbable.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's where the quantum weirdness comes in, right? And that's what the discuss- the whole discussion will be about that we'll, we'll end up getting there. Yeah. So I guess this would be a good time to say, what is a Boltzmann brain? So we'll kind of segue the discussion off of the, the physics that we just laid into describing what a Boltzmann brain is.
1: All right, well, we'll preface it with this that uh, philosophers uh, and and Boltzmann's really a philosopher of science, even though the phrase might not have been used as much as we use it now. But and philosophers sometimes come upon a metaphor or a scenario, a model, Plato's cave, we've talked about that so much, uh, or the ship of Theseus that, that helps illustrate something. So, Boltzmann. We have the, the brain that it's essentially a question. You're going to help me do this because I've, this is the first time I've talked it out aloud. Mm. Okay? Uh, so, out of nothingness and the particles of the universe, uh, suddenly a brain appears. And the brain has an intact set of memories that are false because it never had the experiences that, that are in, in the brain. But the notion is that that brain appearing is much more likely than a universe, uh, uh, let's say an anthropic universe, uh, being able to come into being. And the paradox is that then you have the brain looking at the universe, but it really couldn't because the universe wouldn't have come into existence in the first place. So, then you just have a brain by itself.
0: Yeah. So, there's probably a bunch of people out there that are like, you're crazy. (laughs) 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 <laughs> what concert did we go to last <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so that that's the general principle. And now we'll kind of explain why it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, the discussion that we just had talking about, you know, um, entropy. So, entropy, you know, it, if you think of it as a law, then the conversation sounds completely insane. But if you recognize it for what it is, which is a probabilistic statement mm-hmm. well then really the only ingredient that you're missing is time right mm-hmm. and so what what they were looking at is that okay there's two things one is the universe that we currently live
1: in which which with, we call infinite
0: yeah so what? so yeah there's two things right the first is with Modern physics stretching back the past hundred years or so. If you look, you know, we can observe what happened, the history of the universe in fairly precise detail. And what they find is that when you see the Big Bang, the Big Bang is an extremely low entropy state, right? So if we go back to the, the example of the coins, right? All right, if you, if you drop two coins on the ta- counter and they end up heads up, you don't think anything of it right but if you were to drop out a billion coins onto the counter and they all came up heads up you'd go whoa what are the <laughs> chances of that right well that's kind of the equivalent of the big bang right is this it's such a low entropy state um, that physicists go wait a minute this is really strange that that the universe would have been in this configuration and so you know, even back to that time, they were they're wondering. Well, then, is it designed? Is there a, was there a God or creator that that put this low entropy thing in into motion, or did we hit the jackpot in terms of the universe that we're in? Right. So that's the one component of it. Now, the second component that sort of tempers that view and gives a little bit more context to what's going on is what you just mentioned which is the apparent infinite nature of the universe we have no way of knowing as it stands right now if the universe is infinite or if there's an infinite number of universes which for all intents and purposes are the same thing right um if space goes on forever and it's infinite or if our universe is finite, but there's an infinite number of them. The consequences are the same, which is that an infinite amount of time allows all possibilities possibilities. to happen infinitely. So in other words, if we go back to our 1 billion coins, if you just dump out that billion coins once and they all end up heads up, well, that seems like a outstanding coincidence. Almost everybody universally would say that there has to be a God directing that. But- If you dump out that billion coins every second forever, nobody would be surprised if they all end up heads up at least once. Right. 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 And really, if it's infinite, it will end up heads up
1: an infinite number of times. So So it wouldn't be surprising for a brain to pop into existence.
0: Yes. Yes. So... But why brain, right? So we, when we look at, (laughs) so here it is. This is where it gets really strange. Hmm. So we, this kind of explains the universe, right? When we look at the Big Bang, um, there's two ways of looking at it, and as far as science or philosophy is concerned, either way is kind of equally valid, right? If you were to say. That there's a God that lives outside of time and outside of the universe, and he created the universe. There's nothing that science can say that says that that's not true because it's outside of the universe and therefore outside the purview of science. But if you also said, well, the universe has probably just been around an infinite amount of time, and during that infinite amount of time, eventually some quantum fluctuation happened that gave rise to the Big Bang and the universe we see today, that also seems equally valid. But what Boltzmann honed in on, and what gets us to the mind bending part of this is that if we go back to our episode on Occam's razor, right? Mm-hmm. So, and parsimony, right? If you're looking at any theory, um, you're always going to want the theory that that seems to be the most likely, the one that has the least number of steps, right? The one that, that um, appears to be the most easily comprehensible. Hmm. So, what Boltzmann was saying is, well, if there was an initial quantum fluctuation that has led to our entire universe, this infinite expanse of space and time with huge balls of hydrogen n- with nuclear fission that's heating these planets that is giving rise to complex life over courses of time. Just complexity and and scale on an unprecedented level. He said, why would you need all that? He said, wouldn't it be enough to just have one galaxy? Wouldn't it be enough to have one solar system with one planet? Wouldn't it be enough to have one person? Or wouldn't it be enough to just have one disembodied brain with just enough intellectual capacity to imagine That the universe had been created in such a way. And so, when you start looking at philosophy of science and saying, well, what is the simplest, you know, possibility? When we look at scales of time, right? The the chances of a Boltzmann brain popping into existence um, occurs once every 10 to the 10 to the 50th years. Which is a long time. right? (laughs) Essentially once. (laughs) Right. But a brain, a disembodied human brain, is much more simple in some aspects than the entire universe, most people would agree. And so, what are the chances that the whole universe would suddenly pop into existence instead of just a brain? So, the Boltzmann brain scenario is essentially saying... The chances that there's this whole universe that you're observing out there is much, much less likely than the fact that you are just a disembodied brain that has popped into existence in an endless void with all of the memories that you have and all of the things that you think. And that the next moment you will pop out of existence. And And, won't know it. Right. Yeah. And that sort of hinges on the fact that there, there is no present moment for you. The only moment, essentially, you're already dead. Um, but what you're viewing as the present is actually memories that have been, that are in the brain as it formed, right? So you have the whole memory of your life that you think has actually happened, but that's really just the way all the particles of your brain popped into existence in the void and then popped out of existence in the next second. That is much more likely than the universe that we all appear to be shared and seeing today. You did that very well.
1: <laughs> uh, so the question philosophically with this, well, first, scientifically, I mean, he was, he, he talked uh, sometimes about, about gases in a, in a closed system and, <coughs> and, and this is what leads to some of this discussion, so that the same thing will happen. Mostly a gas will, but there's vibrational fluctuation, uh, but will reach its, uh, the state of entropy. That I always confuse the low and the high. Yeah, it's sort of... High entropy seems to me to be much disordered. And low entropy is order, so that's how I yes. think of it. All right, so so it'd be highly entropic, but statistically, uh, and and apper- apparently one could observe this right is that the particles of gas could arrange themselves in some part of the chamber that it's in, so that in, in that part of the chamber the gas is less entropic than the rest, causing more fluctuation. So if that can happen, then the 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 the, uh, the paradox, the model that he is is it makes it much more fun to think about. But there, but we, but to to help people with this this mind bend that we're on right now, if you've ever watched the uh, Infinity War, uh, Avengers, the Marvel movie. There's a scene where Dr. Strange is in a deeply meditative state, head going here, there, everywhere, trying to examine all the possibilities of, of, is there any way to defeat Thanos? And he arrives at one. Out of all the possible universes, there's only one in which the defeat happens, And that is a kind of Boltzmann brain scenario of mm-hmm. uh, the, the later scientists or just philosophers of science taking this model and saying, okay, really, this would only happen once. Everything else would be a dead multiverse. Everything else would be a dead set of universes except the one universe that has us in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the, the the one so-called brain that has that has appeared. Another little side tribute, I think, to just put some f- focus on this, there, there uh is a novel that well, one of the most, one of the two most recent books um uh, by uh, the writer of the, he, he uh, is an amazing he's an amazing fellow and and he's been always uh controversial because uh, he had a fatwa put on on, on him because of uh, he of the, the highly uh, fundamentalist uh, Muslim elements uh, of the world that said, uh, "No, you can't say this thing." Uh, Salman Rushdie, and Rushdie's of mo- mo- his two most recent books, just out this year, is is a Boltzmann brain like book um, in, in that um, it's examining the rise and fall of a civilization. Uh, uh, from the creation of a city that is created by a woman who has been given great power. And the process of the creation of that city, which is very rapid, she creates these people and she puts whole histories in their heads so that they won't be surprised that suddenly they're in this city. So they think the city's been around forever. They think they've lived a long time. And it occurred to me when we were developing this. I was just read this book recently. I said, "Ah, yes, okay. So this is this is a worked out idea of the Boltzmann brain." Yeah,
0: yeah. It's um, it, it's really interesting. The the physicist that got me thinking about this again was Brian Greene. Mm. Oh, man, his his books are really fantastic. A super String man. <laughs> yeah, but the way that he introduced it is, you know, he talks about, you know, hey, if you were to, if I were to ask you where your brain came from. You know, you'd probably tell me, well, you were you were born from your mom and dad and they were born from their parents and then somewhere along the line, the human species evolved from something else and somewhere along the line, that evolved from some non-living thing and somewhere along the line, and all the way back to the Big Bang, right? And so, that illustration demonstrates the fact that your brain is, is really n- nothing more than a very specific configuration of particles right and so when you think about a Boltzmann brain it's no different it's just a very specific configuration of particles and so the idea that you know again is in an em- empty space right given an infinite number of time particles would arrange in such a way that it would specifically match up to your brain um is more likely than a than a universe appearing, right? So, yeah. why is the potential existence of Boltzmann brains bad news for philosophers and scientists?
1: <laughs> well, there, I suppose you could, you know, as you, I, I've watched, I've listened to lots of videos and read a number of pieces. I think that it it injects. Um, the chaos that, uh, people who like order <laughs> aren't, aren't particularly happy with, but it, but I, I don't find that it impedes it. I, I it, it can be threatening, I suppose, but only in the same way that, that, uh, People said that Descartes was threatening. There are a number of mentions. Did you encounter these? Yeah, the, the, the going and we've talked about Descartes. So, uh, going through an, uh, what we would call an existential crisis, trying to figure out if he even exists, if any of us even exist, and that's that's the same fright that people you, know, you have people writing saying, "Am I a Boltzmann brain?" It's well, which is akin to other things we've talked about. This said, "Well, am I just a program that's been Written uh, somehow, that seems frightening, and and it, to me, it doesn't seem any more frightening than the nature of this universe <laughs> itself. Anyway, uh, this you know, and and so Descartes posited this this daemon, uh, this uh, uh, creature that could mislead us, and so how would we actually know that we do truly exist? It's I, I think Boltzmann just updated that really yeah no
0: definitely it's uh i feel like the Boltzmann brain is just sort of like the the crazy horror film version of i think therefore i am (laughs) 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 you know i think when you think a lot of people i think therefore i am that that sort of you know that um phrase has a sort of a positive um inflection to it for whatever reason. And if you read Descartes and you read the process that he went through, it really wasn't, right? He, no,
1: this was a this was a stone-cold, awful, horrific
0: experience of, of process. But I think lay people who are unfamiliar with anything but the phrase, I think what they take away from it is that, yeah, no matter what, the fact that I can think means that I'm really here, right? Whereas the Boltzmann brain, um, I think that when you wrap your mind around that concept, it's almost... I think, therefore, I'm not here, right? Because (laughs) rather than me thinking and being in this universe, right? I'm thinking, but nothing that I'm thinking is actually real. Yes, my thinking isn't my thinking, it
1: just popped up. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and so, it's probably important at this point to draw a distinction between the two philosophical scenarios of the brain and the vat and the Boltzmann brain. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think... And there's, there's definitely overlap. I think you can think about both at the same time, but the brain in the vat really is a, a subjective thought experiment, which is what we've been focusing on to this Daniel Dennett played a lot with it. Yeah, so that's this, this thought that, okay, well, it, here our subjective reality could be what it is here, but we could actually be a brain in a vat. The Boltzmann brain, though, carries a whole different set of problems with it, that are um, cosmological in nature,
1: you know, that are have to do with the the, the physics of the universe. Yeah, right? because it doesn't need to be a vet. Somebody's not tending your brain, so you're not plugged into something like the Neo thing in Matrix, right? You're In the Boltzmann brain, you're there, and then you're not.
0: Yeah, and so if our philosophies of science and the physical laws that we've observed in nature lead us to the conclusion that what we're experiencing is more likely to be a Boltzmann brain simulation than the actual universe, then it undermines our entire foundation of science, right? And so scientists have had to come up with um, ways of counteracting this argument. Well, philosophers and scientists, mm-hmm. right? And there's been a number of different ways of, of doing that. Um, there's a one that's it's a bit convoluted but sean carroll who said the very fact that you and i can sit here and talk about Boltzmann brains invalidates the, the idea, idea of Boltzmann, Boltzmann brains. brains because yeah. um following on again occam's razor and power and that sort of thing um if we look at the brain the brain doesn't need to be as complicated as a human brain in order to c- accomplish the its focus right hmm. Um, by thinking about the Boltzmann brain like you and I are right now, we're using an incredible amount of creativity and critical thinking and intelligence well, at least we're trying to, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to use these things to wrap our head around yeah, this alternate universe, whereas really for the Boltzmann brain to operate optimally, you'd want it to not be able to do those things as well. You'd want it to be more accepting yeah. of the fact that it was just Rather than the idea that the, the universe is simulated, even occurring to it, you want that to be completely out of its mind. It needs to be stripped down even further. And so, that is an argument that that he had. Um, and some physicists are not quite convinced by it because... Um,
1: yeah, you read some of the, the doubters on that. Yeah. Because of the nature of quantum mechanics
0: itself. Right. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, there's that and then there's you know other other scientific ways of of but, addressing it.
1: But the use you know if we want to is there a teleology to the Boltzmann brain, or is there a teleology to any of the tools that philosophers have developed? And and I'll take the Yes, there's a teleology in this, even though that could be countered completely. But I'm just going to go that route for a moment. In other words, we could ask, it's a mundane question, what's the use of of this? Uh, And we know that there doesn't have to be a use for everything. But you just demonstrated the use for this. The fact that it has people thinking about all the implications were this to be the case, what does it allow for? What doesn't it allow for? How does? What does it show us about the universe? Does it il- illuminate anything? That's really the philosophical, philosophically important thing. I mean, for me, the Boltzmann brain is just a a, a lovely another metaphor uh, that uh, uh, run at um, rapid speed, fast forward, makes. Uh, encapsulates the rise and probable fall of human humanity so that uh, one brain arises out of the the melting pot of quantum froth okay Uh, it looks around and it's gone well our whole civilization of brains does this across Hundred thousand years, mm-hmm. or maybe we'll make it to two hundred thousand. <laughs> but, but almost surely, uh, there'll be a point at which something else rises instead of us uh, out of the evolutionary process. We we think of ourselves as the end point and the BLN, and and that's ridiculous if you if we we've learned about science why should we think we're the endpoint one rock out of space and we're done something else will rise or we wreck the environment so much that we pretty much force ourselves off the planet something else on the planet will rise it's 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 a dose of humility and a perspective on the universe that if it offered nothing else to me that's what what's really in it yeah yeah
0: no exactly and so that kind of gives us this next question, which is what do Boltzmann brains say about the anthropic principle, right?
1: <laughs> you said you were going to ask tough ones, so you have to answer them too. All right.
0: Because the point that you brought up is, is very important, right? Um, and that's, Brian Green really demonstrates that very well in his book. You know, he yeah. says, you know, people don't have the ability to wrap their minds around timescales. You know, he goes right, right. And so it's we we don't we can't think that far. Yeah, and you know, and he said basically the conditions that in the universe that would allow for the rise of consciousness are just a small sliver in you know, in eternity. Yes. And within yes. that small sliver there's another small sliver in which humanity r- arises. That has an infinite chasm of consciousness on either side of it. So, it's almost this fractal-like thing, right? Where humanity is just this small piece, but the more you zoom out, it just keeps going and
1: going and going. I I used to have a a t-shirt. I know this thing, this meme. We didn't use the word memes back then, but Dennett gave us a new thinking about memes, too, across the years. The picture of the galaxy. Well, a, a representation of the galaxy, <laughs> the Milky Way, with a little arrow that says "You are here," right? And it, it and the humor is also the existential angst. It's also all, all wrapped up in that. So, so your question is, what does it say about the anthropic principle? And and what it says is that our brain, that's arisen out of the froth, sees the anthropic principle because. That's what the particles told us to see, <laughs> basically. It was written in, uh, not even our own, if we literally take the, the Boltzmann brain. Uh, if we take it figuratively, then I think we're back to what Hertog was talking about, a well, wonderful book, and I'm glad you put me onto it, uh, with Stephen Hawking. Um, Hawking, this is paraphrasing, but essentially said that the anthropic principle is nothing but despair, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, at one point, in when he first met Hurtog. And later, as you, as you said in previous uh, podcasts, it, he re- he started looking at the universe from a, a very different perspective and thus dealt with the anthropic principle. What else are we going to see? Of course, we're going to think that we're important, and of course, we're going to see the universe being in support of us because, after all, we're here. That's a Boltzmann brain of a of a revelation. Really, it's already written in that we would see that because we're the most important thing there there is because that's the way human humanity generally thinks. Well, a cockroach would say, probably think the same thing in its own cockroachy evolved way into a full-fledged species. 1930s science fiction did that really well. <laughs> so, I, t- to me, what it says is, of course. What else am I going to look at and see? We're, we're, we know we're built to see patterns. And so we'll find the pattern. Well, if this was a, if this little, if this amount of hydrogen, this amount of oxygen, of this, this, this amount of time, when the universe, when it explodes into being, but then slows down like a, a slow motion over billions of years, to give everything enough time to to spin up into the proper vibrations, so that we exist. Well, what's the process? What's the possibility of that? Well, if there's an infinite universe, then there are all possibilities.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's where the the discussion gets real tricky. But I, I like the point that you've been making, which is the fact that whether we're a Boltzmann brain or not, we're a Boltzmann brain. <laughs> in the <laughs> fact that <laughs> in the fact that if you zoom out far enough, right, um this idea of being a disembodied brain that is in space that exists for one moment and then is gone is terrifying but if you scale out far enough that's all humanity is right yeah. is we what we are is a brain and although we are embodied right our brain doesn't see anything our eyes see things our brain doesn't hear anything our ears hear things right our brain is separate from all of those things and all
1: all it's doing yeah. is making meaning of what it's perceiving. the phenomenological analysis. You're doing that, right? And you've talked to me before about all the steps just for, for us to say that we saw something, all the things that go on in the brain. And this raises the really important question is,
0: well, does it make it any more or less meaningful whether you're a Boltzmann brain or whether this is actual reality, right? If the phenomenological experience is the same, right?
1: Are we determined... <laughs> right. Does the determinism rule or does it not? It's, a, this is why it is a delightfully complicated, wonderful thing that this, this Boltzmann brain, because it gives us, it's a tool. You know, Dennett often talks about that in his writing too, the philosophical tools. We pull them out of the box and we use them. Let's think about the ship of Theseus today. Let's think about the Boltzmann brain. There, there are dozens of these. We haven't even touched on, Nearly and more than dozens, and and we could, we and we will, we keep pursuing them. But so how do they help us look at things? My, my granddaughter has this thing in a basket and a bicycle. It's a, an orange golf ball. Uh, she told me yesterday. Said, so "What what's that in your basket?" And she said, "That's my sphere of focus." Oh. And there were two acorns in the basket. What are those? She said, those are my questions. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went on to all the other parts of the bicycle and what they're all about. But, and I couldn't, I'm thinking about what we're gonna be talking about today. And I'm looking at my sphere of focus. And she bumped and she fell over at one, at one point, got right back up, but she was very concerned. Said, where are my questions? And she found them. <laughs> her mom found one she found the other back in the basket i need my focus and there's the pollen and it went back in the back of the basket I thinking wow to me you know this is a grandpa talking i'm not talking about the brilliance or not of, of of this child i'm talking about the metaphorical capacity of the brain very early mm. to just to pick things and call them something else but still, is revealing what's important. Questions are important. What's important? Focus on something.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. The brain. I love like, her for that.
1: That's just so much.
0: Whether it. my brain is here in my body in a physical universe, or whether it's just a Boltzmann brain that's only popped up for a second, it's amazing, right? The complex thought it's capable of, right? Because last night when I was doing research for episode after reading all of the articles and doing all the things then my regular schoolwork on top of it i said well i need to i need to learn more but i'm pretty burnout so i'm just gonna watch youtube videos on it yeah, right yep yeah. and there came a point where it's it's 10:30 at night and i'm home alone <laughs> and there was a particular pbs video that just explained it so well that when the guy got to the point where he said you know well Based upon purely statistical probability, the chances that um, you're a Boltzmann brain are, are much higher than the fact that this is a universe, uh, you know, I got chills down my spine, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be very Boltzmann brain-like to go through a whole life... And then to get to a point where the truth is told to you on an innocuous YouTube video. right? <laughs> and, and I go, you know, it's just one of those moments where it, it, it almost feels like you're breaking the fourth wall yes. of reality, right? Yep. And There's an eye peeking in and looking right. at And it. then, you know, you're in this, it's the Spider-Man meme where you have the three Spider-Man and a Mexican standoff, right? Yep. And you're like, well, which worldview is right, right? Am I, am I in reality looking at this nonsensical almost you know topic um or is it this thing actually when you obey all the laws of logic and rationality does this actually make more sense Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and again it goes back to that original question right with with the coins and 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 god and stuff right well if this happened one time it sure seems like there's an intelligent design and a god that put the whole thing in order but if it happened an infinite number of times, then there shouldn't be any surprise that this is what I'm experiencing because what else would I be likely to experience? Whether it's reality or a simulation or a Boltzmann brain or anything because else. Because of the combination of
1: elements that make us a- as we are. I mean, it, it's not... <laughs> as you said a before, it, it doesn't. it doesn't... Prove or disprove a thing. Uh, It doesn't have to take anybody's faith away. It doesn't, it it, it can cause some existential angst, but lots of things too. But ultimately, if, if, uh, if there were a God who had, had created all the universes, why would we think we're we're special maybe for this period of time on this particular rock, <laughs> but there are lots of other stories out there. There are lots of other stories out there if that's the case. And so, and, and is that frightening? I suppose there's a, there's an element of that, but yet what it does is the Boltzmann brain for me focuses on this thing you said before, which is meaning. And this is back to the existential element for me. So if, if I'm a Boltzmann brain, uh, can I find meaning? Yes. Yes, because it's written in there to, to find meaning for however long. Because the, the fact that I'm a, a bit of a, a bubble and, a, and froth somewhere doesn't diminish that I've been here now for whatever time I get to be here before I melt back into the froth. And and those experiences are are. Marvelous and horrible, and all the range of the human experience we have over a period of years—heartbreaking um, and and joyous and sublime and all the rest—what makes that not meaningful? Would it would it have to exist for all time for it to be meaningful? Would I would I or any one of us? Would humanity have to dominate the whole universe in order for us to have meaning? No. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, what happens? When we
0: scale up the idea of Boltzmann brains, right? So, we have this idea of, of a brain popping into existence, but really, I mean, if you, there's nothing to say, you know, that other things can't pop into existence, right? Have, there's always the classic example of a tea kettle in the world. Well, that's static. Bertrand Russell's, yeah, yeah I was yeah. thinking
1: of Bertrand, yeah, right. So, so if, if that, if, and why did Russell, that's his tool, one of many. Why did Russell come up with that? He Came up with it. Uh, he he talked about it uh, because he's trying to say that you 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 can't prove a negative, hmm. or or or, 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 or you, you, it's, it's impossible for for us the way we're constructed. So it's possible that there's a, a teacup orbiting. The sun or Jupiter or something. We can't prove it, even with our instruments. Even if we spent all 100 years training our James Webb telescope on Jupiter, we wouldn't find a teacup because we couldn't see it. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And so this idea of um, this is one of the defenses against the Boltzmann brain as well, is because. Um, Some physicists say, okay, so the chances of a human brain popping up seem more likely than a universe popping up. But really, that was before modern physics got a hold of how the universe unfolded. Mm -hmm. And that if you actually look at how the universe started and progressed, it's actually much more simple than a human brain is. Because when you when you started and you just had hydrogen and helium and a little bit of lithium, and then things condensed and went about their way, it's sort of like, um, I think that the the best analogy is um, probably video games right now, Hmm. like, um, you know, video games, uh, 10 years ago, there was a a point where so much work had to go into them because you had to design every little detail and high, high fidelity graphics and audio and stuff. But in the past few years, there's been this um, movement towards procedural generation where you seed is what they call it. You seed a couple parameters, and then you just let an artificial intelligence develop whole universes, right? There's whole, whole galaxies and universes in video games now. And at this point in the technology, they don't quite stand up to the stuff that's been meticulously handcrafted, right? But you can develop in-game universes that are much bigger than ones that are handcrafted, So that's sort of an analogy, right? Or yep. right, if you have a video game that lasts 10 hours and it's meticulously crafted, I mean, you might be, it might be easy to say, well, the chances of that happening are much higher than a video game that is 200 hours long and is this huge expansive thing. But if you look at the complexity of the arrangements, right? The universe, the big bang, the universe of the big bang was not necessarily a complex arrangement. It was really just an infinite point of density. Whereas the human brain is a remarkably complex, um, you know, uh, configuration of particles. And so even though the brain is much smaller and even though there might be, you know, there's, an innumerable amount of brains in this universe, the way in which those brains developed from a, a much more simple universe as you go back in time, may be more likely than just a fully formed brain in all its complexity popping into existence. So that's one of the scientific uh-huh. arguments against
1: Baltimore. but But it still has served its purpose. Mm. The, the model the tool has served its purpose because it it allows for what some writers call a fine-tuning of how you view the universe how you uh, the worldview you have on on current politics and uh, uh, science of uh, the, the 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 global perspective on humanity, and it can lead to discussions of all of that. So what you just said essentially says, well, evolution makes more sense than the brain just popping up. Mm. All right. And evolution tends toward more and more complexity. At what point does something get so complex that it can no longer sustain itself? Then it's gone, and and all over time, something else rises up again.
0: Yeah, and that's sort of the the tension, right? In in natural observation, is it again? It comes back to that second law, right? That in a closed system, entropy increases, and yet when you look out into the universe, you see all these ordered systems. But that's that, and that's what Hertog and Hawking were talking about in their book. Is that this idea of evolution extends beyond just organic yes. um, things, yes. right? Yeah. It goes back into molecular arrangements. And Brian Greene talks about this in his book as well. Um, that you know, when you look at how atoms are arranged, right? All right, you have the the protons and and the neutrons in the in the core. Then you have electrons in the shell. Well each combination of protons and neutrons in the core will only allow certain numbers of electrons in certain shells of the, of the outside but once they're there the strong nuclear force locks them in so tight that you have a molecule a molecular bond that can't be broken right almost can't be broken and so that is in a sense um particle evolution right is is the way that these things through the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force have have come to congeal together and therefore have become building blocks for more complex structures so yeah the history of the universe is sort of this um battle kind of like the sun right and the sun you have n- nuclear fusion pushing out mm-hmm. and you have gravity pushing in and as a result you get this what appears to be very ordered structure, this spherical ball of, of burning hydrogen
1: in the sky. Seemingly. But it takes... But it's uh, very violent. It's very violent. And it takes a, 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 an impossibly a convoluted random path for a photon to emerge. So a photon, the light that we get, photonic expression, is millions of years old. It's not like, oh, there's a photon. Eight eight minutes later, it, it, it hits our faces and warms us. No, that thing's been bouncing around inside the video game of the sun or the pinball mm-hmm. until it finally beats the gravity and comes out. It's ancient light before it ever, <laughs> yeah, before we ever experience it. Yeah, and so I think the
0: sun is sort of a good... A good analogy for the universe as a whole, in that way, where you know, in the in the fight between entropy and evolution, you sort of have this parallel fight between gravity and, and nuclear fusion. Hmm. And so the one is pressing on the other, and basically, at some point, they find a point of equilibrium, and there is an apparent order. But that order is violent and chaotic and always changing. Right? It's the same thing in the universe. Right. You have entropy that's constantly trying to bring things to a lower energy state. We have evolution that's constantly trying to create order. And our universe, as we see it, is really just that equilibrium point. And it appears to be something that's static because of our extremely short lifespans, right? But actually, it's something that's extremely violent, constantly changing. And if you look at the time scale of the universe, it's just a mere blip, yeah. right? A pop of a face up out of the muck and then back down. Right, <laughs> which you know, it's it sounds it sounds a little sad and a little depressing and stuff. But I like coming back to Roger Penrose's uh, you know ideas of where well, hey, if you look at the physics of a black hole and the physics of of the Big Bang, they're the same, and the physics of empty space and the physics of the Big Bang. Are essentially the same thing on a different scale then you start thinking about the quantum fluctuations again Mm -hmm. and you go well even after the heat death of the universe if you get way way out there and everything is just a diffuse particulate soup there's always a chance if with infinite time that it's guaranteed to pop back up into a universe Mm -hmm. and it's guaranteed to develop in the same way that it has and we're guaranteed to be here again doing the same thing But we're also guaranteed to be Boltzmann brains somewhere in another
1: (laughs) universe, right?
0: (laughs) So until next time, keep talking.